Father, we love you. You are the one who our hearts adore. And we come and we, this evening again, we cast our adoration at your feet. Because we recognize that in you, those who are hopeless find hope. Those who are broken are healed. Those who are without a way find a way. And so we worship you, we declare our love to you. And as we, as we meditate, as we continue just to meditate now on your goodness and your grace, the journey that you have us on, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here with us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So good evening to you. Special welcome to any special guests, some folk who we haven't perhaps seen in a long time. It's really good to see you, to have you with us again this evening. Thank you to the worship team, Jordan. Welcome, Claire. Josh, thank you for leading us this evening. So this evening we're going to continue in our series called Church Life. And um, what we're going to chat about might seem a little bit unorthodox. So, um, but I think, I think as we go through it, I think you'll see the value about what it is that we're going to talk about and meditate on. So last week we started with this series on Church Life. Um, and we looked at the birth of the church and how Jesus breathed life into his body and this us together here, how we came to life through the power of his Holy Spirit being present in us. We saw that the church wasn't present in the Old Testament. The church was also not really established during the personal ministry of Jesus. Um, the church only started after Jesus um, ascended and left, and the church was birthed at Pentecost, as we notice, when Jesus sent his Holy Spirit down to empower the body of believers, that's us, to go into the world um, and to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the way that we baptized some folk um, a few days back in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that Jesus had commanded them and us to do. So in the life of the church, when the church really started, so we'll kind of, we'll pick up the story from just after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had come down. So right from the start there, Jerusalem was the center of the Christian movement. And, um, and from this center, Christianity radiated to other cities and towns, starting around in Palestine and beyond that. And at first, Christianity's appeal was largely, although not completely, confined to people who were Jews. Um, and so it was people who turned from Judaism 
And we read more about that kind of the way Paul describes it in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. And so to these believers who were once Jews but now became Christians, belief in Jesus wasn't something that was completely new to them. But it was rather for them, I think, a sense of continuing and fulfilling what God had promised to people who they were very well acquainted with, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so in its very beginnings, Christianity kind of manifested and started this relationship to the Jewish faith, and it was a relationship of continuity and of rather coming into the stream of what God was doing through Jesus in bringing his kingdom again. And so out of this presence of so many elements of Judaism in the Christian Bible, um, there's a reminder to us as believers that the Jesus who we worship and who we recognize as being Lord was himself a Jew. And that the New Testament doesn't stand on its own, but the New Testament is very much attached to the Old Testament. And then at a particular point in the journey of the growth of the church, um, Christians who had this non-Jewish background or what is what the Bible calls Gentiles began to outnumber Jewish Christians. And the work of the Apostle Paul was very influential in this. And the book of Acts outlines for us the missionary journeys that the Apostle Paul went on from Jerusalem to other countries and to other nations of people. And we won't really talk so much about Paul if you've really got a good study Bible. Study Bibles usually have maps of those kinds of things in them. But now as we try to get in a kind of an overall picture of how the church has gotten from being a small group of believers who had the Holy Spirit descend on them, about 120 of them, to what it is today, which is about 2.3 billion people who claim to be followers of Jesus, I think it's going to be helpful to consider the 2,000-year period from then until now, kind of in ages, kind of brackets of time. Pastor Andrew and I had a good laugh earlier on in the week when I said to him, I'm going to try to do 2,000 years worth of church history in 20 to 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so let's start at the beginning there. So in the Bible, about 14 people are considered to be apostles. Now, the first age that we'll look at, we'll call the age of the apostles, now, the original members of the 12 had, add, had two of them added to it. So there was Matthias who was added to them. He was chosen to replace Judas. We all know what Judas did and what happened to Judas. And then Paul gets added in there as well. So that makes 14. And Barnabas, thank you. So, so most of what we know about the ministry of the apostles, these men who really kind of started this whole thing moving, where they went to from afterwards, this after this time of Pentecost, and also quite interestingly how they died, we really know that kind of information from Christian writers 
and church tradition. And there are often times when you, can, when you look at what happens to the apostles, there are often lots of different accounts of what actually did happen to them and where they ended up, what they did, how they did it, and interestingly also, how they ended up dying. Now, according to church tradition, it is believed that the apostle Peter ministered the gospel in Rome. Peter, it is believed, was killed by the emperor Nero in the year about 64 AD. Remember that Jesus ascended at about 33 AD. So that was about, about 30 years after Jesus ascended. And Nero, that was really after the time there was this big fire in Rome and Nero blamed the Christians for it because he had ulterior motives. And it is believed that Peter in Rome there, he was crucified upside down. The Romans were really into being nasty and finding different ways to, to end people's lives. And then there was Andrew. Andrew moved around and he preached the gospel to many Asiatic nations. But then he went to this place called Edessa, and when he was there, he was taken and he was crucified on a, on a cross like this. Sorry, Pastor Andrew. And then there was James and his brother John, and they were, in the Bible, they were called the sons of thunder in, in Mark chapter 3 and verse 17. And James played a prominent role in, this, in the history of the church. And it is believed that he actually spread the gospel to Spain. Um, and then he was also martyred. We read about that in Acts chapter 12 and verse 2. He's not the James that wrote the book of James. He comes on a little bit further down. And then quite a prominent um, apostle was John. And John allegedly went to this place called Ephesus. And there he wrote the three letters that we have in the Bible. And from there, he was exiled to this little island called Patmos for preaching the gospel. And there, while he was on this island, he received this revelation from Christ, and he wrote the book of Revelation, which we also have in our Bibles now. Eventually, he made it back to Ephesus, and he is the only apostle who didn't die by being murdered. He was the only one out of the lot of them who it is believed died of old age. And then there was the apostle Philip. He went to Greece and he ministered there. And one of the people who Philip, who Philip converted was actually the wife of a, of a governor, a proconsul. And um, when the proconsul found out that his wife had converted to Christianity, he got so upset that he also had Philip crucified upside down. And then Fox's Book of Martyrs claims that Bartholomew went to India, and while he was there, he confronted the Indians about the idolatry. Indians have many thousands of gods who they believed in. And while he was there and he confronted these people, he was actually beaten to death. Thomas, who we know as the Doubting Thomas, he also went to India, and he planted churches there, and he died in the year about 72 AD, and he was apparently speared to death. But today, there are still churches in India that have his name. There's a very particular beautiful cathedral that they call, the Indians call St. Thomas Cathedral 
in Chennai, India, that you can still go to today. And then there was James, Jesus' brother, and he ended up being the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he was actually one of the most important leaders of the early church. And he also happened to be stoned by the Jews um, for being such a prominent leader within the church. Jude was someone who went to Syria, and while he was in Syria on a missionary journey, he went with Simon, he was also martyred there. Simon went to Persia, and he was actually sawn in half. The Persians were quite uh, brutal in how they um, dealt with people who they didn't like. We all know what happened to Judas. And then Matthias, who wasn't originally one of the 12 disciples, but was added to fill the position of Judas, he ministered to cannibals in what is modern-day Georgia. And he was also martyred there. Actually, we don't know if he, how he came to end, if he ended up in someone's belly or not. And then Paul, he moved around a lot, and he spent time in prison as well, as we know. And he went to Greece to Turkey and to Syria and many other regions that we don't really even have on our maps today. Then we go to the next, um, the next age, and the next age is called the age of universal Christianity. So what happened during this period of time is that the gospel spread rapidly throughout the Mediterranean world and this was also a time when believers were trying to understand and establish foundational doctrines. And in this generation, the church kind of called a lie a lie. And they lived very strictly according to the writings of the apostles. But at the same time while this was happening, the Christians faced severe persecution by Rome. And they were willing to die heroically as martyrs. And in doing so, they became witnesses to other believers to follow in their footsteps. In actual fact, for the first 280 years of Christian history, Christianity was a banned religion. And it was banned by the Roman Empire and Christians were terribly persecuted. That picture in the corner there is actually a relief, um, a little a tile work that's from that period of time that shows a Christian being attacked by um, a wild animal. They were used in their games, um, and that was quite a brutal way to go. Um, and then we go to the next age, which, was, which we could call the age of the Christian empire. This age began in 312 A.D., and the Roman Emperor Constantine was, um, was ruling during that time. And he finally got to the stage in Roman history where he reconsidered Christianity as a religion. And at this stage for the Romans, I believe, it was a case of either continuing to fight against the rise of Christianity and for them then to hold on to the worship of their own gods, or they could join with Christianity and see how they could manipulate Christianity to their own gain. And then what happened was Constantine, he lifted the ban 
on Christianity, and he then used Christianity as a religion that could unite the Roman Empire, which at that stage in history was starting to come apart. It was starting to fragment and divide. And then what happened was Christianity became the official religion of the Roman state. And while this may have been a positive development for the church, it had um, some other repercussions that weren't that good. Also, it had lots of, the church at that time was experiencing a lot of false teaching going around. And so this was also a time in the history of the church when the church had lots of councils coming together and they would write creeds and some of the, the creeds that we still reflect on today were written during this period, this period of time. Um, creeds like the Athanasian Creed, the Nicene Creed, and there are some others as well. And then we go to the, the next age, and that was the age of the Roman Catholic Church. So what happened during this period of time was that the Roman um, Catholic Church, or at least the church at that point in time, grew very fast, and it grew very big because of its relationship that it had with the state. It had this relationship with government. And out of this came the rise of what we call the papacy, or the leadership of popes. And this was also the time when people started dedicating their lives to serving God by becoming monks and nuns. And then also, quite significant during this period of time, there was a schism, this break within the church. And so out of this break within the church because of differences that they had, there came in the West the Catholic Church and in the eastern part of, um, of Europe there was the, the Eastern Orthodox Church and that would be churches like the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox and all of those other Orthodox churches. By the way, this was also the time during the 700s when Islam started to rise. I know some of our friends are now getting to a stage where their fast is coming to an end and they will be celebrating Ramadan. So during the 700s was the time when their religion really started to grow as it was being birthed. And then there was um, a large move by the church to send missionaries to other parts of Europe, um, to England, to France, to Germany, to far parts of Asia and Africa. And missions were quite important for the church during this time. And many theologians also started writing Christian doctrines that are still referenced um, today. And then we go to the next age, which is the Protestant Reformation. Now, the biggest point to note about this time was that in 1517, a monk named Martin Luther broke away from the Catholic Church, and he protested against some of the Catholic Church teachings. And the biggest issue that he had with the church was what was called the sale of indulgences. Now, this is the idea, very roughly, that you can buy your way into heaven. 
Um, and Martin Luther wrote this document that was called the 95 Theses and um, against this belief. And then he broke away from the Catholic Church and he started the Protestant Church Reformation. And so other demon nominations started out of this. Another interesting point is that in 1535, was also the year when the very first version of the Bible written in English um, came about. Then we go to the last age, which is the age of enlightenment to the, to the modern age. Now, this, is a, this was an age, and we are still in this age now. This was an age when people saw themselves as becoming more and more enlightened. And they felt that they were able to reason better for themselves and not be dictated to by the church. And this period of time in history was also heavily influenced by science, by individualism, by reason and skepticism and so on. And it started in the 1600s and it still is carrying on today and morphing and changing as it goes. You know, through all of this, Jesus continues to build his church. And as we look at that very, very brief, very quick um, synopsis of what our history is, we see the church going through a lot of stuff. There were times when the church was very, very strict, and there are times now where the church is kind of becoming more and more relaxed and so the journey of the church has kind of been a winding one. But Jesus has always been in control of the growth of his church. And so that's kind of the story that has brought us to this point. We haven't even looked at how the church has come to Africa yet, or how the church has come to South Africa yet. But it's very interesting, and there's whole massive chunks that I've left out of really important and valuable information that, con that concerns the growth of the church, but we don't have time for that now. But the last thing I'd like us to look at as we, as we have this in mind is just the question of why the church has been able to consistently witness a message that has been able to resonate with people for so many years. It amazes me that a message that is 2,000 years old is still able to resonate with me and with you today. It amazes me. Now, even as, I th as we think about it today, we recognize that even today, church growth is something that we could call big business. Many people would like to know what a growing church is like and would love to know how to get, to get church growth. And so what happens is that church communities spend a lot of resources to see growth in their communities, in their congregations. And so many churches pursue an image that to them they believe will lead them to some kind of growth. But I think the Apostle Paul knew something about church growth. And he knew this. He knew that fundamentally 
a growing church is made up of growing Christians. And I want us to look now in the last few minutes at a, at a, a portion of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church. He wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica. And he had a very close relationship with this church in Thessalonica. And so I'd like us to read and reflect on one or two points about this. So we're going to read from Thessalonians chapter 1, Thessalonians at least, chapter 3, and we'll read the last few verses of chapter 3, and then we'll jump over into chapter 4. So what had happened here was um, Paul wrote this in the year 50 AD, which would have been in that first age that we chatted about, the age of the apostles. And he wrote it to this church that was in the city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica is still there today. You can actually go on your map and you'll see Thessalonica is there in Greece today. And so he had gone on one of his missions journeys. He went to this place called Thessalonica. He spent about a month there, possibly about three Sabbaths. He spent a month there preaching to people and a number of people believed the message of the gospel and he planted a little church there. And then they actually, he actually needed to leave in haste because there was some persecution that he was facing, but the church continued to, to grow. He was concerned about this particular church, and then he sent the apostle Timothy to pastor them for a while. Timothy spent some time there, and then when he came back, he had a report about how this church was doing. And then Paul wrote this letter back to them. And this is what, the, this is what, what he says to, to this church that is busy growing at this time. He says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. We jump over to chapter four. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are now. You are living now. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this and more. You know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that is, and that in this manner no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. 
Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So Paul wrote this letter along, uh, among other things. He also wrote in the last chapter of this letter, um, answering some questions that they had about the second coming, about what it would be like when Jesus actually comes. But he writes to them here in, this, in these few words that we read now about what it was that he had prayed for them. And as we read through it, we see that he prayed two things. He prayed for them for love and holiness. And this, I think, is the Apostle Paul's example to them and to us for what to do in order to help or to see a church grow. And Paul wanted to see this church grow. He did what you should do if you want to see a church grow, or any other church for that matter. He prayed for them to be holy and loving. And he implored them in this letter to be holy and loving. And he instructed them in how to be holy and loving. I think God has called the church together in order to be a picture for people to look at that reflects his very own character. And so in being holy and loving, we are reflecting God's character. And so as he writes to these Christians, he was hoping and praying in praying for them that they would reflect the character of the Father who has shown himself to be, perhaps more so than anything else, holy and loving. So then we could assume that the way to be a growing church is by reflecting the character of the one who called us to be this, a church in the first place. After all, if we're not doing that, then we're not growing anyways. If we grow as Christians or as churches, we grow for God's glory, not for our own. And I think that is the way that we will see real growth in the way that our brothers and sisters do so across the world. As I close... Listen to Paul's closing prayer to this church that he wrote to in chapter 5 and verses 24. He says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And so even as we think about ourselves, I want us to be encouraged this evening that even in those words there, we see that Jesus promises us that he will keep us. 
He will bring about and cause the growth that we reflect on when we look at the history and the story of the church who is us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the journey that you have us on. A journey that starts, but that has a glorious end. Father, we thank you that even as we travel with you, as we look to you for leadership, as we look to you for comfort, as we look to you for growth, we thank you, Lord, that you always hear us, that your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And so, Lord, even as we go out from here this evening, as we enter into another week, we ask, Lord, that you would remind us of that picture of us needing to be holy and loving as we think about the journey that those who have gone before us have taken, who have unashamedly told the world about your grace and your love for them. In Jesus' name we pray.